Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog collection. Hey folks, welcome back to the Ultimate Catalog Clash. We're talking about Wind and Wuthering by Genesis, and we're talking about Side B. Last week we talked about Side A, and Corey expressed, you know, a bit of dismay about the colonoscopic, is that a word? Colonoscopic nature of the length of some of the songs. But you know, maybe maybe he'll turn. Maybe this side of the album will sort of get him back on track and we'll, uh, we'll be okay heading into the next album. So what do you say? Shall we do this, Corey? I am looking forward to it. What's our first track, Kevin? Well, first track, well, do we need to explain to people what we're doing or should we just let them figure that out? I think we should do that on, the, on side A of every of every album. And if people can't go bothered, can't be bothered to go back and listen, well, fuck those guys. So Exactly. If, if you're picking up this show from side B of the second album on this season, <laughs> then what the hell are you doing? You, you got issues, my friend. Yeah, so the first song we're going to listen to is All in a Mouse's Night. This is a Tony Banks song, a solo song, like with the only creative songwriter on it. Um, I think one of three on the album where that's the case. Um, and it's the opener from side two. So, yeah, what did I mean? Just very general thoughts without giving too much away. Well, this it, one's it, the first, first time listen, right? It, it was the first time listen. Um, strange for me because all these songs so far, uh, with the exception of like Your Own Special Way, which is just a very simple, uh, you know, straightforward love song, have been very epic in scope or at least attempted to be right they have these big themes and big big stuff uh this is inspired by tom and jerry and and it's told from the mouse's point of view and the cat's point of view and it all it it jumps back and forth and that's really fucking strange for this band (laughs) (laughs) well and i mean i don't know because i think i read the same thing about the alternating point of view. And I don't necessarily agree that that's the case personally. Oh, listen to the lyrics. It definitely changes point of view because it, it talks from the mouse point of view. I think I might go up for a stroll I suppose into so, the night yeah. and out of this hole. And then you go from suddenly he bumps into wood. So he's talking from an outside perspective, right? So yeah, yeah, I guess so. Jumps. So no, they, well, they still manage to be incredibly pretentious about a song <laughs> about a cat and a mouse. <laughs> Suddenly he bumps into fur. Oh, suddenly he bumps into the first one, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. No, I still think it's I think it's from the mouse, man. Oh, uh, you're drunk. Let's listen to it. <laughs> Fucking great, man! I don't know, but so there's the there's the anchor again. We talk about you know motifs through a a song, as I think we were talking about on uh, one for the vine. But this one's got this, this essentially the same intro as the the first track on side A, right? So you've got that yeah. same gradual, very synth pad intro into now we've got a big build and we're kicking off. And Phil's drums, they just sound really, really good. They do, but again, uh, lyrically. 
again, we're starting off the cat. I can't see you, but I know you're there. Looking at the hole, he knows the mouse is there. Come up close to me, you'll soon be warm because he's going to kill the fucking thing. <laughs> All right, I, I jumped so. ahead. I jumped ahead to 47 seconds because my, my only note here was what? Okay. So I don't know who's coming there. Is it the mouse or it, it's the cat? But, but someone's definitely coming at this point. In the no, but you, you've got to play this forward a bit because there's a brilliant bit with the bass is just fucking epic. Because listen to this next, just, like skip on. Right. Yeah, stay. Yeah, so so that's the pitter-patter. This is the mouse. Yeah. I think I might go out for a stroll. So we go from the cat to the mouse. Maybe find me a meal walking along this new shag pile presents a problem all the while. And then we switch back to the cat. Suddenly he bumps into wood. The door is closed. A voice from the bed, he'll be exposed. Which way to run must make for the hole. The cat no, is telling, the... yes. Nah, man, I think that's still the most. Fuck off. Which way to hey, run so... must make for the hole. That's the cat saying, he's got to go somewhere. He's going to make for the hole. He knows where he's going to go so we can pounce on. Okay, but the light's been turned on. Now he's blind, uh, maybe. Now he's blind as a mole. Uh, yeah, because when you turn the light on the mouse, yeah. Oh, I'm right. You know yeah, it. but. Hey, cats have got very good night vision. If you turn the light on all of a sudden, they're going to be fucking blind as well. We need to, we need well, to duel. True. We need to, we need to duel. We need to get pistols and go to the village green at dawn. <laughs> and then, then we go back to the mouse. Now I can see they're coming at me. They blocked off my door. I haven't a chance in hell. That's the mouse again. Yeah, I've never. And man, I'm I'm. That's quite annoying that I've never picked up on that. That's actually really really annoying. But anyway, but Did you, you know, another, uh... let's let's not let this come between us. Okay. Let's just say that. But I just, like I said, I think that that in that section we just listened to, it does sound like my scampering about. And it's that yep. really cool way that Hackett's playing sort of, the, I, think, I think he's palm muting his strings and really picking super rapidly. I don't know what he's playing. Like it doesn't sound like really chords, but it doesn't also sound like random notes. So that's just, I don't know. That's super, super cool. It's very theatrical, right? There, there's a better moment actually uh, at 2.35 uh, with the pitter patter. Uh, did you have anything before then, or can I? Okay, we'll go to the yeah, two thirty-five. They won't catch me now. I've run that. That's the mouse again. That's why you're yeah. getting that pitter patter. All right, and all then it right. switches back to the slower refrain, and that's the cat. But if you go to three fifty, oh sorry, uh, two fifty-three. Where are we at now? Yeah, two fifty-three. Again, that's from the cat's perspective, right? Suddenly he bumps into fur. That's very yeah. unwise. A cat, speaking about himself, is much quicker than men in their eyes. I love that swing too, though. This section is yep. like, it's just a big, meaty, dirty, well, and, and that's another sign that that they're they're switching perspective because the cat is very, he's higher in the register, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and the pitter-patter of the guitar, and then you get into this more of a swing thing, and he drops his voice down. Suddenly he bumps into fur. That's the cat. Dude, just fuck it. I've already accepted that I probably am wrong about this. I'm going to spend some time with this and just get getting more forensic about it. But I think you're probably right. I think it's just. Can we just leave it there? I, I just Why like can't we be right? friends. Okay, I, I podcast <laughs> with John Mariano. I'm never right, so I, I'm reveling oh, in this right now. Whoa, whoa, no, no, you are almost always right. Just Mariano is an argumentative dickhead. So, oh my god, you have no idea. It's even worse off the call. So. Uh... <laughs> With my 
monster mouse, he's ten feet tall, with teeth and claws to match. It only took one blow. Okay, uh, who is the monster mouse that's ten feet tall? This we don't know. Yeah. You could maybe make an argument that it's sort of, I don't know, like a maybe, maybe it's depression, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's I'm stretching here, right? I think maybe it's just, a, I think it's maybe just a fucking massive mouse. I don't know why there's a massive, but there's no 10 feet mice. Come on. And, and there's not even an analog. Like I thought, is he talking about a human, uh, you know, coming along that's super tall with teeth and claws to match? Well, that's not really a human, and humans yeah. are 10 feet tall. It only took one blow. Uh, I guess if a guy was going to kill a mouse, you could do that in one one stomp. Yeah. But yeah, I uh, I don't know. I do I, like though. I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't know if you listen to or if you've ever been to a musical, but this is again where Genesis drift into this very theatrical. You could you can imagine this being you know um, part of a big epic set piece at the culmination of a musical, right? Where the mouse has now been cornered, and then this thing comes out that you might you might have sort of referenced or hinted at before in the shadows or something where now it comes out and now it's revealed. So again, it's that big, it's that big prog theatricality that I think that gotcha. comes through with this. But And then the main problem I have with this entire album is that is, is kind of an emotional climax uh, to the song. You could have pretty much ended it around this time. It goes on for another two minutes. Yeah. And, and, and why? Okay. But go, well, go to, go to five fifteen. Okay. Cause I like this bit. So before that section kicked in, it could have ended yeah. there. Like it only took one blow, da 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 da, da boom, and it could have been done. Yeah. But they keep going. Okay, so I think that this is this is when again prog, prog bands do this all the time, right? What what they're looking for is, okay, I come in with three songs, you've got three songs. How do we tie them all together? And so that bit, if you listen to that drum beat and that timing, and even sort of the way the synth pads work, it leads into afterglow that finishes this side. So you're opening this side with All the Mouse's Night, and you've got this just this little phrase, this little piece of this song, that when you get to Afterglow later, it's going to remind you of this piece of this song. So I think that's an intentional... It wouldn't surprise me if they'd got Afterglow and they thought, well, actually, we should maybe throw this... We should throw a little bit extra into, into uh, All the Mouse's Night just to sort of tie those pieces together. So, yeah. But do, do they tie lyrically or like oh no no, no. Any it's just, other way other than musically no just musically yeah it's just that it's just that motif that little thing that kind of that little through line yeah so does uh, Afterglow uh, reprise other songs from the album in that way there's a bit mm, yeah I think there's a bit in Afterglow well, we're, we're, like we're, let's wait till we get there I think there is but yeah right got any more on this incredibly long uh, song about a mouse <laughs> um, yeah I did have one more but let's leave it. Because I know okay. I, I think I think you're losing the will to live, Corey. A little bit. I, w- I wasn't a fan. Uh, All at a mouse's night. Played 18 songs somehow. Like fuck. Like what kind of <laughs> shit ass show are you going to? Where you going to hear that song uh, in 1977? Thank God I was only three years old back in 1977. <gasps> oh uh, lord. Musically, I gave it a five. Uh, lyrically, I gave it a six, just because. Well, it's kind of neat that you're going back and forth between the cat and the mouse. Uh, so I gave it kind of an extra bonus point for that. But lyrically, it's pretty stupid. And then uh, production-wise, I gave it a two. 
uh, just because it's, again, it doesn't have to be six minutes and 40 seconds long. It could be four minutes and be just fine. <laughs> that little refrain you kind of played at the end, that's great. If they would have went from a, it only took one blow, play that outro done. But no, they go on for another two minutes. And it's like, stop it. I get it. You're jerking off all over the place. I don't want to pay money to see or hear this. Oh, my Lord. Okay, so well, <laughs> so music, I gave it a nine. Wow. And here's what I wrote. Here's what I wrote down, which will make you either hate me or just laugh. Um, One of my favorite bank songs musically. And what I said was he does a ton in this song, but it's not over long. (laughs) Like one from (laughs) from last week. I think the flow in this is so good. Like, you know, a six minute 40. I think he's putting as much into six minutes and 40 here as he does into one for the vine, which is 10 minutes and a bit. So I think it's just, it's Tony Banks being a little bit more restrained than usual. Uh, the lyrics, I just, <laughs> for our listeners, Corey is smashing his head into his microphone. <laughs> That's that sound. I, I, I will say that the flow is better. I, I will give you that. That was a very yeah. good point. You know, and again, the lyrics. I mean, I gave him a 10. I Fuck fucking off. love these lyrics. I love ten, these lyrics, man. 10. I, I admire someone who can take a... The vantage point of a rodent, and as we've established a feline, I think that's fucking cool, man. Yeah. I but love now it. the and- cat comes in for the kill. His paws raised. Soon blood will spill. Yes, it will. Ten, really. Okay. <laughs> Let's go to hard luck, mouse. This is the end of your road. The signpost says, "Inside me, let me bear your heavy load." Lyrics, man. Come on. I think I might go out for a stroll into the night and out of this hole. Maybe find a meal, walk on all this new shag part. Yeah, dude, I don't know. I don't know what your problem is with this song. I fucking love this song. <laughs> and oh, production, that's wonderful. And again, production four, I think it sounds fantastic. Four. It's- four. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Four. Yeah, this is this is where we diverge in our musical taste. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff where we overlap, and this is 100% where we diverge. So. Yeah, we did have that one song. I don't remember which one it was, but we were like right on. We're like half point off yeah. from each other. And then this one here is just, fuck you. Total opposites, yeah. <laughs> love it, love it. All right, maybe we'll get it back on the next track called Blood on the Rooftops. Never played live by Genesis. Maybe there's a reason. Let's find out. We should say straight away that won't be surprised around that mainly this was written by Steve Hackett. Yeah. And of course, that's a, a nylon um, classical guitar. So it's not a, because you can just the tone of it is so rich and warm. And it's this classical piece. There's, you, you can't count this because he's not playing to a, a click. He's not playing to a defined rhythm, but it's got this weird, again, this is what I think that when Hackett comes back and he's actually got now, some songs that he can bring to the table, it changes the dynamic. So you can listen and when you hear this song and you can see why Steve Hackett thought, I don't think I fit in Genesis anymore. Cause yeah. this is what I want to write now where they're doing very different things and it doesn't really fit this, this, this program. We'll get into, you know, who wrote what in this song, but just a very cool intro. And if you skip forward to 52, then we get into those, the, the minor key stuff that he goes into. It's, it's, it's got a very, 
it's, it's this is almost like a, do you know what sort of like a pastoral British thing. This is again, this song is the most British thing maybe that Genesis ever did. Um, okay. There's tons of the references in there that are the very English, but it's got this very sort of oh man, like walking through the fields of Devon with your lady on on your arm who's got a fucking umbrella and petticoats and like it's just got this it, it evokes that kind of old english thing to my brain we watched the queen on christmas day it's, yeah that's a very exactly uh, i really loved uh, the intro uh i love that not every song on this album starts with tony banks just doing whatever <laughs> right so the fact that it was steve hackett i, I thought was kind of uh refreshing um what I didn't like is that he originally thought this would be a love song, which it kind of has a love song feel, right? But he thought there yeah. was too many love songs on the record. I'm like, what fucking love songs? There's one love song. What, what gorilla is not a love song? We just went through the fucking mouse song. That's not a love song. Uh, so he, instead he talks about <laughs> the, mouse TV, the mouse song. That's what I'm going to refer to it as now. <laughs> that fucking mouse song. But instead he's talking about the repetitiveness of television news. And yeah. that, that's where lyrically this thing really loses me. But uh, you want to go... It's interesting though because when you listen to um, Banks, Rutherford, and Collins talking about this, they don't use it's not love songs or ballads, but they, they say it's a very feminine record, which is a slightly I don't know I don't know if you should really use that specific language these days, but what they mean is there's no sort of big ballsy rah, kind of rockers on there, right? So I, th- I definitely get that where Hackett's probably thinking, well. We need to change. Someone needs to change something on this record for it to take a different direction, which is not quite so soft. Only Mouse's Night maybe is an outlier on that, but I think the rest of the lyrics on this album they are quite gentle, right? So I think shaking it up a little bit, you know, I think that's okay. Well, and clearly, the mouse was female uh, in the fucking mouse song. So uh, let's go to fifty-two <laughs> seconds in here for Kevin. You just have to be so good technically as a guitarist to play that because it's so clean. Like there's no, he's not missing the notes. He's not flattening or deadening anything. It's just it's really good, accomplished guitar playing. Oh, and uh, like I'm not a guitar player, but uh, I, I think back to a song, and this is a horrible uh, example, but uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin by Warrant uh, has an acoustic intro, but you yeah. hear like the, the squeak of the strings, like you could tell yeah. it, it wasn't touched up at all, right? You hear those imperfections in how he's playing it. You don't hear that here. Like Steve Hackett is just that bloody good, right? Well, that's also nylon strings, all right, because you don't get the okay. same, you don't hear that the same on nylon strings because the lubrication is not quite the right way, but you, your fingers move over them just, oh, burping, just differently. Yeah, because like on that song, it's very apparent whenever he's kind of moving down the the neck, right, and you hear that yeah, oh, the, the, that kind of squeak, right. Um, are you cool if we go right to the chorus here? Two eleven, I'm on. Yep. He puts me off to sleep too. <laughs> Don't love it, hey? Uh, musically, I, I I do. 
and like I, I love the intro of this song. Uh, lyrically, the message behind the song is kind of where it, lo- it loses me. Okay. Uh, like it's supposed to be out news. Through your eyes, see shipwrecked sailors. You're still dry. The yeah, looks fine through whales. Might have some rain saved again. Not yeah. It's not not not, not my favorite verse. It's getting sort of again. It's it's as close as Genesis got. Well, to this point in their career, anyway. It's as close as they got to sort of being a bit political and sort of having a, a go at anyone, right? And again, it is that very English, that English way of being, um, not really saying what you mean, skirting around the edges of a, an insult or a, a fight. Um, but what I like about that, though, is um, it that lyric is quite jarring compared to the rest of the song because it's got that very lilting, gentle intro and then where you think you're going with the song isn't necessarily where it ends up heading. So it's just sort of a very weird direction. Like you said, I mean, it's a love song originally. Hackett thinks, well, I need to take this in a different direction. I didn't think that exactly this is where it was going to go. But Right. And then and Phil Collins wrote the music to the chorus, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So Hackett comes in with that intro, which is, again, I mean, just, a sensational piece of guitar playing, which almost doesn't even belong on any sort of rock record, even if it's prog, but has no chorus. Phil sort of says, well, let's do this. And you can hear again on Duke and Abacab, and there's tons of songs um, that you can hear um, that kind of progression that Phil Collins would use, even like solo stuff. They said, okay, well, I know how we can deal with this. I know we can build this out, which is kind of weird because, again, Phil Collins always said during most of his Genesis career, and especially in this early period, that he wasn't a writer for the most part, he but he could always hear what one of the other guy's songs needed. So it's like, okay, well, yeah, you've got this, but you've got that, but switch those, that'll work, or you need something else here. And so when he gets together with Hackett to write this one, then it's like, okay, well, yeah, this isn't a song until you've got that chorus section, right? It's just like an idea, right? So, yeah. Right. Uh, lyrically, I had a big problem with this song because uh, I read it's supposed to be about the repetitiveness of news, yeah. You have verses like dark and gray and English film, the Wednesday play. We always watch the queen on Christmas day. Won't you stay? Okay. Which is horribly pretentious and doesn't really refer to anything. Does it? Well, the Wednesday play is a radio thing where you'd always have like a, a radio play on Wednesdays on BBC two. Okay. So the queen, you, the queen gives a speech every year, right? Which I never fucking listened to because we weren't royalists and some of my elder, um, no, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> I was going to something there, with, just in case someone listens. But, but the Queen's speech is a big thing for a lot of families, where you all sit around and listen to the radio or TV now, and you listen to the Queen's speech on Christmas Day. Which okay. I don't, I can't imagine why you would do that. But so it is again. It's that very, it's that very pastoral English. It's old England. It's England from the 50s and the 40s. It's throwing back to that idea that it's this very sort of. Hey, we you know, stiff up a lip and drink very lots of tea and fuck the the Spanish and all that kind of stuff is it's right. that old mode. But I think they do that a good job of this because the tempo of this song slow, and again you <laughs> use the word depressing for this album. It's got a very sort of monotonous draw drawn to it, which I think I mean I think the lyrics work for that. So well, and th- there's some lines that are really good. Like, and the thing I hate, oh Lord, is staying up late to watch some debate on some nation's fate. That's yeah. a great line. But yeah. then we go into hypnotized by Batman, Tarzan, still surprised. You've won the West in time to be our guest. Name your prize. Fuck off. Like, <laughs> what is that? Come on. 
Okay, well, let's, let's get out of the lyrics for a second and skip to 248, because there's a okay. very cool back reference, I think, to earlier Genesis in this part. Okay. So that synth part that Tony Banks is playing there, if you can rewind like eight years and put this in Lamb Lies Down territory, or not even eight years, but I'll put this Lamb Lies Down, or even sell in England, that's uh, a part that Peter Gabriel would definitely play on flute. Okay. And you can tell the way they played that in the Mellotron and pitched it up into that register. I think that's just like a little homage, or a little throwback to if Pete was still here, this is what he would do. Gotcha. Uh, that I was on board with. Not so much lines like, the grime on the time is mine all mine. Okay, you don't get the reference there. No. And I'd written this down because I knew you wouldn't. Okay, <laughs> there's a band called Lindisfarne who wrote a song called Fog on the Tyne. And the Tyne is a river that runs through Newcastle. So Newcastle on Tyne is the, is, is the city, a city in northeastern England. And so it's Fog on the Tyne is all mine, all mine. Fog on the Tyne is all... It's a terrible song. People love it, but it's a fucking dreadful song. So it's a it's a a reference to that is is what because that's again it's a very working class English thing. So it's almost like a little bit of a dig in some yeah, ways. Is, but, is yeah. it taking the piss out of that a little bit? Kinda, kinda, yeah. yeah. Okay, kinda. I can see that. All right, was there anything else from uh, Blood on the Rooftop? Show just one more out? thing, just three fourteen. All right. So it's just that little instrumental section. You, well, you do backtrack theme music. I'm assuming you're a fan of Danny Elfman. Oh yes. So that da, 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 that progression, totally Danny Elfman. He's used that in a million films. Oh, I thought I was listening to Edward Scissorhands for a minute because yeah, it's very yeah. much from that soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that it's that weird step down, made just a different. Key. It, like it's super weird. Like I don't know how to like describe it exactly, but it, I just. Oh, I like that bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it was very cool. Uh, anything else from Blood on the Rooftops? Nada. All right. Uh, musically, I gave it a six, and largely because of Steve Hackett. Uh, he saves this track for me in a lot of ways. There's a lot of start and stops, and again, we're, we're going to take the song, we're going to build to a point that we're going to stop it completely fucking dead and just have, you know, and then go into something else just stupid and pretentious, and I just, I, I don't appreciate that aspect of this era of Genesis where we have a good thing going, stop, and now we're gonna now Tony Banks is gonna, you know, take a shit on stage for, for two minutes and we all have to sit there and watch him. Uh, but musically I gave it a six. Lyrically, I gave it a three because this is this oh, is just Lord. fucking stupid. Hypnotized by Batman Tarzan. Like when old mother goose stops and they're out of out for 23, then the rain at Lord stopped play seems Helena Troy has found a new face. Like, come on. Like, okay, well, what is Lords? Do you know what Lords is? Uh, I'm assuming uh, in your goofy British Parliament you have lords uh, in late. No, lords is a cricket ground. Oh, cricket. Okay, so it's where you watch cricket in in cricket because it goes on for five days. Rain often stops play, right? So you know you just what this is, Corey. And what I'm discovering through this this episode is that you're just uncultured, and you need to educate yourself on British British sensibilities. Oh, you know, I freely admit that. But you Brits in your sports are five days of cricket, like you you guys, your, great. your national. Your national sport is a sport that normally ends in a tie. 
like a, a nil nil draw. That's not sport. That's a waste of time. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so yeah, I gave it a three for lyrics because it's stupid as fuck. And it's also now uh, racially insensitive with Arabs and Jews. <laughs> At the time, not so much. Maybe now you can kind of see it that way. And a production, uh, I gave it a two uh, because I, I didn't think it was uh, mixed particularly well. We have those starts okay. and stops again in song structure. And, uh, you know, 529 is one of their shorter songs, but still too long. Uh, so, yeah, I wasn't really a fan of Blood on the Rooftops. I imagine your scores are a lot more forgiving. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, not forgiving. I mean, just... Accurate? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Accurate. So I'll, I'm gonna I'll give you my score, let you have your coronary, and then give you the reasons why I could so music 10 for me. Of this course. is a straight yes. fucking 10. But I mean I would give it a 10 for that intro alone because I think that's one of the best things that Steve Hackett ever did in his career. Oh, Genesis, out of the two albums solo. I've heard, I yeah, like I haven't heard the earlier stuff yet, but oh, and that is solo. pretty fucking phenomenal. It's great. And it's beautifully arranged. I think the lush, the keep, this is where Banks doesn't overpower everyone else. Okay, so I think, that yeah, the keys don't overpower it, you know, and you've got that lovely full flute passage that's that nod back to Gabriel. The drums and bass underpin everything without being too, you know, busy or boring. So it's just a really well-balanced instrumental part to me. So I'm going to be a 10th chord. Okay. Um, lyrics? Lyrics 7. Um, they are very English lyrics. And I like them. Uh, they're a bit scattergun and the more sort of evocative rather than narrative or cohesive. But again, it's sort of it's sentimental and wistful in a way that I totally understand why it registers better with me than you. So, and then if you're listening, if we're listening to a Canadian band uh, singing songs about like the prairies or something, and you couldn't relate to it, and I could, I totally get that. So yeah, yeah. Well, okay, corner guys. Corner gas. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, fucking lost on me. I don't know why anyone yeah. finds that funny. You know, yeah. But if you're from here, it's hilarious. Yeah. Production three point five. I think this song sounds great. So yeah, and it's not over long. It's not even. It's not even fucking six minutes, is it? Okay. Uh, remember, <laughs> at, at this point, I just sat through, uh, by my count, eighty-seven minutes uh, of this album. Uh, <laughs> so are you just like traumatized? Is PTSD yeah. at this point? So so, so maybe even like five twenty nine. I'm like, my god, like fuck, yeah, end this thing already. Okay. However, so, however, what I think so, I've got a suggestion here. Now we've got two instrumentals coming up. Yes, unquiet slumbers for the sleepers, and in in that quiet earth. Now I think what we should do is listen to them as one, but rate them separately because you know they are different songs on the album. I think we have to be honest about them. We have to sort of rate them independently, but they're not two different songs. Mm -hmm. They are one leads into the other, right? So, And very well, too, uh, which I thought was very good. So, yeah, let's start with uh, Unquiet Slumbers for the Sleepers. Okay. Did, so did you read much about these two songs? So I didn't know this either, but the titles of these two songs, Unquiet Slumbers for the Sleepers and In That Quiet Earth, refer to the last paragraph in the novel which inspired the album's title, Wuthering Heights. Mm -hmm. Not Withering Heights, not Weathering Heights, but Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte, which, right. you know, Tony Banks had spotted and, and thought, hey, that's kind of cool. Well, it, it fits the very uh, mellow, oh, he called it mellow atmosphere. I want to yeah. say uh, a deeply depressing uh, atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> this might be my favorite episode of any podcast I've ever done. I got to tell you. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha. 
so it's very atmospheric it very much fits yeah. the, the kind of feel of the album um but uh my, my one note on this song was short yay and i put that <laughs> again. but uh you know it, it's a great little showcase for the for the band but there's not a ton of fill uh, on this instrumental part two you, you get more fill yeah so i would say that if we cut to um 123 because this is you know the the section they just heard whatever like 10 12 seconds of that that's pretty much how the whole track goes up until about this point So it's, when it gets into this section, you get into that sort of weird, uncanny valley. I don't know if I like this. It's not, I don't, not, and I don't mean I don't like the music, but I don't know if I feel comfortable. I don't know if I feel safe. It's got that weird sort of nastiness to it or sinister kind of thing where you're like, I don't know what's going to happen here. If it's a movie, a horror movie, you would now be shitting yourself because you know that something's coming. You know a jump scare's coming, right? It's hilarious you brought that up because this section reminded me of The Conjuring and the score from The Conjuring, which is a series of films I'm just watching with my daughter. Okay. And uh, which I, I, I kind of dug. I don't know. It, it fits the, the overall mood of the album. Uh, so I thought it was very good. But totally, yeah, yeah. The, the, we, we talked about Danny Elfman earlier. Uh, this very much kind of, you know, into The Conjuring, which is a very well done uh, series of horror films. Oh, did he do the, was that Danny Elfman? The it was not. No, it, it, no, it was oh, a okay, different okay. composer for that one, but. Um, they build suspense very well in those films. It's not like current horror movies are very much like just jump scares for the sake of jump scares. Oh, look, a cat. Yeah. Oh, look, another cat. Oh, look, a cat. Now there's a demon. And it's it's fucking dumb because yeah. jump scares in themselves are not scary. It, it's startling and then you're fine. But The Conjuring yeah. actually builds to something. It builds to a scare. And it's done kind of like old horror movies. And okay. that that is what I, I, I kind of felt when I was listening to this passage. at the Cool, yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, anything else on uh, this one here? We're almost done, actually. Uh, this song is only two minutes and 24 seconds. Well, okay, well, we said we kind of, well, I thought that maybe we could do them together, but maybe we maybe we do stop there and sort of rate this song in and of itself then. And, and, and then maybe we'll do like the last five seconds of this into okay. uh, the next part if you're cool with that. Okay, so. Absolutely, then, yeah. Uh, uh, Unquiet Slumbers, never played live. Uh, I gave it a seven musically um, just because, I, I, I don't know, it felt like it was missing something. Uh, it's very much a hack at Rutherford showcase and yeah. Tony Banks as well, uh, which I thought was very cool. I thought maybe the keyboards kind of overpowered everything uh, at certain times, uh, which in itself isn't necessarily a knock, uh, which I still gave it a seven, which is a pretty decent score, uh, but maybe just a little too much of that. Um, lyrics, obviously not available. And uh, production wise, I don't even remember why I gave it a 2.5. I think there was nothing really that stood out as being great, but I think that stood out as being bad. Uh, so that's okay. why I gave it kind of kind of middle of the road, but I certainly had no not a lot of issues with this. I, I thought it was a very effective uh, instrumental. It's it's an intro to the next track. Yeah. Is yeah. what I've always you know you always think about this. So music for me is five. It's okay. kind of like mood music. It's it's just setting the stage for the next track. Mm-hmm. A production to me one point five because it just feels really muddy. It's just like uh, I don't fucking care about much that's going on here, apart from that little bit where you get that weird. It's almost like a um, what's the the theremin 
that uses Star yes. Trek, right? In that section, yep. like it's not a, it's definitely not a theory, but it's that still that weird, otherworldly, ethereal kind of extraterrestrial thing, right? You're, you're watching, this... a, yeah, you're you're watching like an invasion of the body snatchers in the yeah. 1950s. That's what exactly you're that bit that just takes you away and sort of like, oh, something bad's gonna come. Yep, and, and maybe that's why I gravitated to it a little bit more because uh, I'm yeah. a fan of those films, and, and, and maybe you kind of brought me that back to that. Uh, so we're going to start uh, three seconds before the end of this track, and that's going to lead us right into In That Quiet Earth. And I dug that, like, uh, like, like you mentioned, everything's kind of muddy, kind of, you know, different feel. Yeah. And then you kick it into that quiet earth and it's like, wow, like th this is kind of what I was missing on the whole album. Why can we have more moments of this on side eight? Totally. Like, uh, yeah. it, it was what I was craving uh, from Genesis that we kind of got on a trick of the tail, but we didn't really get on this album until this moment. And again, Phil's drums, they sound, oh. I don't know, again, the, who the engineer was or what the, you know, the production aesthetic decision but Phil Collins' drums always sound just amazing. Yeah. So crisp and clear. And you can hear the kick. Like some, because, you know, we've talked about that with Van Halen and I've talked about it with Queen. Getting a good kick sounds really important on a, on a record. And it just sounds so clean and meaty, but not muddy or boring. I don't know. Yeah. When it comes in, it's like, oh, yeah, this is what this song is now. Yeah. Really dug this. Uh, my next time was 152. Did you have anything before that? Uh, go 115, just okay. quickly, yeah. Okay, so what does that affect there? It almost sounds like it's it's run backwards. Yeah, so that, that's the note that I've written down. It sounds like backmasking. I don't think it is. I think it's Tony Banks playing a... It's called like a, a reverse gate or reverse decay so if you think about a note you go ping and then the decay right well on a synth you can reverse that so you can you can make the the wave come back the other way and i okay. think that's probably what it is because i think they played this live quite a few times right well uh, in that quiet earth i have to look it up i i because i know the the first part that they never played it live at all but i think this yeah. one they did and i think to play this live well, you can't back mask live. You know, you can't, you can't do, you can't reverse the wave live. So I suspect that it's, um, uh, yeah, a reversed, not a, a sine wave that Banks is playing on his synth is what I would guess. So, well, according to setlist.fm, it was played 274 times. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, from uh, 1977 all the way uh, to 87. So for a good decade, they played this one. And so I know that you're, I think you're a Beatles fan, right? I think you're pretty oh, good yeah, Beatles yeah. fan. So this this that section of this song's always reminded me of Tomorrow Never Knows. Yes. Because that's where you get when they were using back masking on the back masking on that one. But yeah, I don't think he is here. I think that's just a a synth, a synth trick. I love it. I actually had my notes Tomorrow Never Knows. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, uh, uh, I'm gonna run uh the one fifty two here. Yeah.
also the band mentioned this as being like a, a showcase of their musical talents. Yeah. And this section to me perfectly uh, showcases that because Phil is great on the drums, keyboards sound great, Mike on the bass is killing it, and you have Steve Hackett, who's probably the lowest in the mix out of the four. Yeah. <laughs> but you, when you do pick him up, he's playing some pretty cool stuff. Rutherford's bass in this section is just bananas how yeah. good this is. Like, again, you know, John Entwistle is one of my favorite bass players of all time. Um, I love Mike Lantony. Uh, I love John Deacon, John Deacon. Queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bunch of people, but, I, but I think, it's not that they couldn't play this, I don't think, but actually, but the bands they were in never called for this. But still, like that's not an easy bass part to play. It's so no. fast, and it's so clean and precise and very specific, and you need to know your scales and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's just so cool. Like John Deacon could play a great bass lead on a song, but he's not doing this during an instrumental portion. In the no, I don't song. think so. No, no, yeah. no. I love that it's like almost Genesis goes Black Sabbath there for a little bit. Exactly. The only, <laughs> the only thing yeah. that kind of keeps it from that is Tony and what he's doing on the keyboards. But everything yeah. else, uh, I got this major uh, Black Sabbath vibe. It's heavy metal, man. That it, it should, That's just heavy metal. It's dirty and menacing and nasty. Oh, yeah, it's so cool. But then you flick, go, uh, flick forward to 340, they ramp that up again. So you've got, not only have you got like, Banks is now playing lower in the register on the keys to really kind of stank it up. I like the word stank. I learned this word through your podcast. (laughs) But you've also got this weird dissonance where they're playing first and second notes clashing. So Tony's playing the first or, or the second, and then Hackett's playing these. It's just... To get that right, because sometimes that can be really like, oh, I don't like that. that. That's not right. If you do it properly and you can find the right frequencies in the right in the right um, scale, Jesus Christ, in the right key, it works really well. And they just that's masterfully done, masterfully done. There's something Genesis needs to do more of, and that's and put some stank on it. <laughs> <laughs> one thing i one thing i did have uh down here was that there was a natural end of the song at about 306 okay and it, it still goes for you know another minute okay which you know which is the theme of the album right like it, it's the lord of the rings return of the king uh, <laughs> of music in that here's a natural end nope we're gonna keep going nope we're gonna keep going and uh this is a song i generally enjoyed quite a bit but again okay Maybe it went on a, a tad bit too long. Was there any more here at the at the tail end you wanted to hear? Nope. All right. So uh, in that quiet earth, uh, musically, I gave it a nine. Like th- th- this is the band just firing on all cylinders. Um, yeah. I don't think I've given it a 10 yet. That's the only reason why I didn't get a 10, but uh, it would have been right up there. Uh, lyrically, obviously, uh, nothing. And a production four, because I, I thought the length fit. Um, uh, this is probably my favorite track. Uh, I love how it, it you know let in from... Uh, uh, unquiet slumbers for the sleepers uh, yeah. into this. I love that kind of heavy metal groove. Um, everything about this thing worked for me. So a nine and a four uh, for production. What was your grade on in that quiet earth? An eight and a four. 
No, there you go. I just, again, I mean, enough for no other reason than sometimes the difference between eight and a nine might just be the way you feel at yeah. the moment. Um, and, and, and keep in mind, uh, at this point, when I'm listening to this album, I'm very depressed uh, because <laughs> very, very, very little has been good up to this point. And, I, and I'd been beating my head against my microphone for a good long while. So oh, this come up, I'm like, oh, my God, this is like a, a ray of sunshine in a very, very cloudy day. So. <laughs> Well, you know, we've got one song to go, Corey, and I'm I'm really hoping this one lifts your spirits a little bit. Um, well, let's find out. This is uh, Afterglow. It's Afterglow. And you know what? This is, I think, probably you would have done your research. Is it the fourth or fifth most played song in the catalog? Oh, 610 what? times Yeah, uh, for Afterglow. Uh, so, yeah, let's, I wonder if I can so, bring up their, their most played uh, songs here. So before we get into it, I mean, this is one of those songs that if you're like if you're a genesis nerd like a hardcore genesis fan you want to see this live and you want to kind of see them either close the show with it or close the first set before the you know the encore it's just sort of the perfect framing and in terms of like thinking through the catalog in terms of album closers it's in contention, man. It's right up in the conversation, which again, I'm tipping my hand a little bit, but. Well, I'm just, I, I don't see a ranking here, but I'm looking and uh, there's not a lot of songs they played more uh, than Afterglow. Uh, the drum duet, obviously, when they got Chester in the band, that was played 670 times. Yeah, but I, you don't, I don't know. So I don't count those, right? So yeah, I don't, uh, In the Cage 605 times, which is crazy. Uh, would have been right too. up there. Yeah. Um. Gosh, yeah, I, I think this may be their most played song, actually, to be honest with you. Because yeah, it's, it's it's only behind I Know What I Like. Yeah, and, I know, and, and Los Endos. 550. Yeah, Los Endos yeah. was a big one. Uh, I Know What I Like uh, was a big one. Uh, 636, and this one was 610, so there you go. Yeah. Uh, they played this all the way up to 2022, just last yeah. year, in, in their last performances. So let's check out a little of Afterglow. Man, that's a great lyric. Like the dust that settles all around me, I must find a new home. Bloody hell, it's a great way to open a, a song. And like I said, so the lead in from um, Unquiet Slumbers into In That Quiet Earth, and the, the transition goes again into Afterglow. So you've got that's almost like it's almost like a three piece, right? Oh, yeah. And I, um, I like made a, that like a suite. So, yeah, the, the way these three songs lead into each other, I thought yeah. was phenomenal. It's just beautiful. I mean, that whole and it's okay. So, do you have what's it, synesthesia? Is it called? Do you get like when you listen to certain songs? Do you get that thing where all the hairs on your neck stand up and you're you get goosebumps? And do you get that? Oh yeah, yeah. Because not everyone does. You know that, right? Not everyone gets that. Oh, really? This is this is one of those songs for me. Is like every time I hear that, it's Phil Collins. It's so lazy. The drum beat's so lazy. And it's kind of like a Sunday afternoon in the summer where you've got nothing to do and you can just sort of 
lay on your lawn. It's just, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I, I got a little ahead of myself. I started playing the song again. Uh, well, go, uh, go to 46 and let's kick into the course. But I, I would search everywhere just to hear your call. so there's a really cool thing too where in production you'll leave a vocal single tracked or you won't put any reverb on it or there's just a bunch of tricks you can do to highlight vocals but with this one if you listen to it they've got a it's, it's a bit of chorus on there i think or there might even be just a wee bit of flange or some kind of effect on there that makes his vocal sound really different. Like if Phil Collins was sat opposite you singing, it would not sound like that. Right. So that's and that man, production The you know. I found that so refreshing because like so much of this album, he's way up in the register. And right. So you like that low register stuff, eh? I do, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just like a little variance, like, uh, yeah. you know, mixing up a little bit. And there's a couple songs where it even sounded like he was straining. Uh, to, to kind of keep uh, that tone throughout the whole thing. But right. it's one of the things I really appreciated uh, about Afterglow. Uh, I was cranky when I was making my notes. Uh, I, I put things <laughs> like a stereotypical Genesis, but you know that's not a bad thing. Uh, I really like it as an album closer. Uh, I mentioned how I love how the last three tracks lead into each other. It, yeah. it works very seamlessly. And uh, for a bank song, it's shorter, which is great. <laughs> did you have well, another uh, time code you want to yeah let's go to we'll play 157 to 220 okay and i want you to listen to specifically um the symbols because i know you love your symbols Corey. i do so i want you to listen to the guy. way these are played because i've got some ideas about what he might be doing i might be wrong on this but i'm super interested in what he's doing on this in this little section so so when he's playing that it's kind of like a clang when you, you can hear that, and he's, he's, he's playing like a trill thing, but he's playing this like, tang, it's that very metallic thing. Now, what I think he's doing there, he's playing the bell of the ride cymbal, but I think he's also grabbing it. So you get that, it's, when you hit when you hit a dead cymbal, you get a very, a super metallic kind of, because, you know, the bell's like, ting. Yeah. And you get that decay. You don't get decay on that, right? So it's like, tink. So I think he's holding it, but when you listen to the rest of the drum part, if he's doing that, then he's having to come and grab and then come back off, which again, technically is, that's difficult. But sorry, I should do it that way because Phil Collins is left-handed, which complicates right. everything when you're trying to fucking play stupid drum parts. So I can't watch and see what he's doing. But that's what, so that I always like that bit because it's really drum technical, drum nerdy kind of, you know, like that's really cool. I don't, and I, I don't think it would have been dubbed in afterwards because it's Phil Collins, he doesn't do that, right? So, yeah, that's it. I I, listen to that, so. No, I was wondering about that because it definitely sounded like the bell, the symbol, but I was, yeah. Totally, uh, yeah. It, it, it makes total sense if he's grabbing it because I was wondering if they took that out in post or like how exactly did they achieve that? 
because that'd be so hard to fucking like off the belt and then grab it. And then oh yeah, man. I mean, like, it's a super difficult skill to get the timing right because you know again we're getting into drum nerd territory. But when you come off when you come off your bell, you you can just play it side right. You play side stick and you just can hit it there. Yeah. But if I'm if I need to be playing my hat and then come onto that and grab, now both of my hands are here and now I've got a problem to get back over right. Yeah. So to get it that precise every time, that's really it's it's crazy. And I think that's what he's doing. I really do think that's what he's doing. Now, what was the last tour he would have played uh, drums on? Two thousand seven? Would he? He wouldn't have played an Afterglow in 07, would he? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, yeah. They played in 07, Yeah. I, I have the 07 tour on DVD. I got to check that out and see. Yeah. Either what told... he's doing or what Chester's doing on that, because yeah, that's pretty. Cool. Yeah, Chester would be playing it because he'd be singing, and then he didn't. I didn't play and sing that much, but because yeah, yeah, that's so. just that's just a very, again, very drum nerdy cool little bit of thing to look at so but when you're trying to figure out how you play something and you're like yeah like how how do you achieve that it's yeah it's interesting well what you, what you got to do is you got to be born phil collins apparently yeah good luck there <laughs> uh, i've been trying to play phil collins for a long time As, <laughs> aside aside from the main beat from in the air tonight no i can't do much all right. Yeah. Anything else from Afterglow there, Mr. Uh, Mr. 305. Let's go to 305. All right. So play it forward a little bit, but listen to what Mike Rutherford's doing. So first of all, you get that break back into the major key, into the outro, which is just very cool. But then when you listen to what Mike Rutherford's doing, it's insane. And when you also got these, you get the big harmonies in there and you've got the synth pad as well. So you get this multi-layered vocal sort of um, treble upper frequency range thing going on. Um, it just, it just makes the whole thing. It's release, right? Cause this, this album has been a challenge. It's a fucking riot of different ideas and it's messy and there's all sorts of shit going on. When that break comes in, it, this song just lets you down. Like it lets you, it brings you back down into this sort of peace state where it's like, okay, maybe for you, I didn't like all that, but this now is letting me go a little bit. And it's not dropping me off a cliff. It's easing me out into the river in a canoe and just let me sail off and into the sunset. And I think that that way that they sort of push the those synth pads and the harmonies that's how they do that and like i said oh. i think that's really clever oh absolutely the, the, for me this album was pretty much a slog uh, to get to this moment so you have this release <laughs> uh for us and we, it, it's almost like when you go to the kfc buffet and you've eaten all that greasy <laughs> kfc chicken and you feel like you're going to explode and, and, and when you finally pass gas and it's just this nice slow easy release and it just brings brings relief that to me <laughs> this, this 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 is the kfc buffet fart uh, of music. <laughs> I mean, I, I would guarantee you, if you think about this, okay, alternate universes and that theory of sort of multiverse, everything that can possibly be said has been said in some universe. I'm still not convinced that anyone's ever said that exact specific sequence of words that you just said. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it in a good way. It is the fart. 
KFC. That's right. It's the KFC buffet fart. And if you've never had the KFC buffet, because Wayburn, Saskatchewan is one of only two places in North America that has a KFC buffet. So you can come and for 13 bucks, eat all the greasy chicken and all the sides you can eat. Uh, so when you've had like eight or nine pieces of greasy KFC chicken and you feel like you want to die, when you finally release that gas, it, it's the afterglow. <laughs> oh, man, I love that so much. That's so good. And when, when you come to Weyburn, you will experience it, my friend. So. Oh, KFC can go fuck itself, man. I, <laughs> I just, I, I can't even. I just, that's what the kids say. barely food. It's oh, barely it's... food, but sometimes you still, I still crave it. Like we got to hit the buffet. Like, and I got to eat like six fucking thighs and wings of this godforsaken chicken. And it's going to make you sick as fuck. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, when, when that release comes, man, it, it, it's the afterglow. <laughs> oh, so good. All right. A- anything else from afterglow there, Kev? Well, no, I, I'm just, I'm curious. I'm kind of curious how you rank this one because for me, like I said, this is a Genesis staple. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one that is on all my Genesis playlists, definitely. And it's almost always the last track. In fact, I think it's pretty much always the last track. Yeah. So musically, lyrics, and production, where are you at with this one, Corey? Well, I'm going to guess you're 10, 10, and 5. No. No? No. Okay. Uh, I was 8, 8, and 3. Uh, okay. I, I, I like this track a lot. Uh, musically, it's it's exceptional. Um, maybe I was a little cranky at that point. Maybe I still had some <laughs> KFC backlog that I was trying to get rid of. Why I only gave it an eight. Uh, lyrically, uh, I gave it an eight. I do like it lyrically. It is very. Uh, I wrote down stereotypical Genesis because okay, it, it does have that air of pretentiousness about it. Uh, they, they can maybe get a little more to the point, but on this song, it works incredibly well. Uh, so lyrically, I I like this one a lot, and I gave it a three. Uh, for production and i'm not even uh, sure why because i didn't put anything uh, <laughs> bad on here uh production wise um I, I couldn't tell you if there's anything that that kind of turned me off from it i love yeah. how the last three tracks on this album lead into each other so i imagine i'm just cranky uh by this point because i listened to 51 <laughs> minutes just so what the fuck? i was just done <laughs> that was probably it so eight eight and three is how i ended up uh with afterglow uh what was your score so music seven so it's very simple and the music needs to be on this song because, again, I think the the lyric and the vocal carries it. So, um, and not because I think the music's weak, but if you think about some of the other tracks on this album, how interesting they are and how complex they are, I can't really give this a nine or a ten. But lyrics are ten, I think. For me, it's exactly as much. It's exactly as you need. Oh, Jesus Christ! It's exactly as much as you need to write. Those are the words in the right order, um, and it shows that. Tony Banks was sort of notorious for writing these big epic, well, you know, one for the vine, on the mouse's night, these weird sort of flights of fantasy, but he could still write a really clean economical lyric. So again, some of the lyrics in this, but I would search everywhere just to hear your call. We've all felt that at one time or another. The meaning of all that I believed before escapes me in this world of one. Holy fucking Christ. I mean, that's an existential nightmare right there, right? Again, it's that thing of, you know, I, nothing's true and it, it's all on my shoulders anyway. So, so yeah, Luke's 10. I'm giving Tony a 10 on that one. Um, production 5, I think it's the best sounding song on the album. Sonically, it's perfect. You can hear everything. I've got no complaints at all with the length, Corey. Mm-hmm. 
with the choices sort of vocally and sonically and would have put things in but yeah i think that's a good length of a song which think uh, this is what we get into lengths which we've got okay we've got music lyrics production maybe we, maybe we should have gone music lyrics production and length for genesis <laughs> <laughs> maybe and I, I i got no problem with 411 either my first note was it's a tony bank song and it's shorter like it it, it fits <laughs> Yeah, th- this song feels like it should have been four minutes and 11 seconds, and it was. Yeah. Whereas a lot of his songs felt like this is a three minute, 30 minute song jam packed into a 10 minute fucking diatribe <laughs> that I didn't need. So the fact that Tony was restrained on this one, I, I really appreciate. Well, you know, and I appreciate the fact that you've given this all a chance because, like I said, I know that this is not your jam. You're not a prog rock guy. And I. <laughs> Like I said, when we when we talked about doing this for the listeners, we you know we we're talking offline. And, well, Janice would be a good one too. Let's do Phil Collins. Like okay, and we were chatting back and forth, and it became apparent fairly early on to me that you weren't really aware of this mm-hmm. part of Phil Collins' Genesis career. So it's like okay, well that's going to be quite interesting because it's not yeah. that you don't have varied tastes, but I don't think you have this specific taste, and it's turned out that you definitely don't right so very very true uh, to me wonderful. Uh, genesis with phil collins started with the self-titled album yeah so Illegal so, this, so this is fantastic for me because anything you say is not going to change my love for these early records obviously right because again i mean love supper's right i love fuck you know everything that lamb lies down on broadway is one song really over an hour album a double album so I like pretension. I like bloat in terms of, you know, prog rock, but getting to talk about this with someone who doesn't have that experience is very uh, illuminating. Well, and you're educating me, you know, maybe I was, you know, when you kind of explain lyrically the slant they're going for and the very British, uh, yeah. you know, side to it uh, makes a lot more sense. Looking at it as a Western Canadian, you're like, ah, fuck off. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> now, now they call it the Cadillac Ranch. We're parking cars by the old bean patch. Like, you know, those are lyrics that <laughs> I grew up with, like bullshit like that, right? So, uh, I, I don't mind lyrically taking me on a journey. Like I said, my favorite Spinal Tap song was uh, Calm Caravan until the typo <laughs> turned it into Cam Clam Caravan. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm appreciating the, the musical journey I'm going on here. Uh, some awesome. stuff definitely doesn't work. Like the fucking mouse thing is just the dumbest piece of shit. I love uh, maybe that song ever. so much, man. I love that song. It's such a hot. And what I, cause I'd written down like the bank's efforts on this song. So one for the vine, um, all in a mouse's night and afterglow. Those are kind of the, the signposts of this record. Everything else is kind of filled in around the, cause those are the three big set pieces. You know, you've the openers, Eleventh Earl of Mar is kind of this big, weird sort of epic fantasy thing. One for the Vines got this ten minutes for stars, right? So it's this obviously it's a big part of the album. Yeah, All in a Mouse's Night is this weird flight of fantasy, and then it closes with Afterglow. So there's different, there's different kind of bits of Tony Banks's persona in there, but those are the three songs I think on this album that define it. And your own special way is probably the most accessible on it um what gorilla is the most weird and sort of interesting in a way and afterglow is definitely i think it's probably definitely the best song for my the best song yeah but but underpinning all that if you take those three songs off and throw three songs from spot the pigeon which we're going to talk about at some point then the album changes completely tonally so 
does it because to me like the the fucking mouse thing doesn't fit at all uh in the tone uh in the scope lyrically uh musically yeah sure uh, it okay. sounds just as depressing as the rest of the record but you know it, it doesn't fit like you, you talked about these three signposts but the one yeah. signpost doesn't have a sign on it so you got you got two signposts with like you know signs on it and then one just sitting in the middle of nowhere that doesn't make any fucking sense in the context of the rest of the record you just don't have a prog soul, Corey. That's the problem is you've got no... I just know. don't like mice. I, I'm afraid of mice. I don't like them. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, uh, I seriously. Okay, you don't when, like I was a, when, when I was a kid uh, in our garage, uh, we had a mouse trap and we caught a mouse. I was probably like eight or nine years old. It was a dead mouse in a trap. And I was kind of afraid of it. My dad, as a joke, threw yeah. it at my head. So I had oh, I always have this image of a mouse in a mouse trap flying at me. And I've never liked mice ever since. I'm, I'm not a fan. Well, I, mean, I have them all over my my house, my place of work, and the wife still has to deal with them for me. Uh, I've a you know I, I'll deal with a lot of things. I won't deal with vomit, and I won't deal with mice. So Tony Banks, you go <laughs> fuck yourself. The mouse song sucks. <laughs> so uh, final grade uh, for mm-hmm. uh, wind and withering. Uh, side A, I gave it fourteen and a half. Uh, side B, I liked a little better, even though it had the worst song uh, on it. I gave it a nineteen, <laughs> uh, largely because of the two instrumentals and Afterglow really raise it up for me. Uh, so I had 19 on side B, 14 and a half on side A. Uh, you know, it gives me a total of 33 and a half out of 50, which is 67%, which is under uh, a trick of the tail, but still over 50%. You know, it's still a passing grade. So, you know, that's not bad. Okay, yeah. So my overall for this side of the album is 20.5. So Music 8, Lyrics 9, Production 3.5. And I would say, actually, if you don't like this side of this record, you're not really a hardcore Genesis fan, which I know you're not. Um, hey, I, I after, think it's a pretty good score. 19 after, is not bad. Yeah, and Afterglow alone makes the whole thing just a masterclass in secrets. Anyway, so I did 20.5 on this side and 18 on the first side. So for a total, for Wind and Wuthering of 38.5 from me. So what's our grand total, Corey? Our grand total then is 72 out of 100. I'm okay with that. Uh, just five points below uh, a trick of the tail. And I think that that's probably roughly where Wound and Withering should sit. Yeah. Obviously, that's the album you picked, right, for uh, what you think we're going to rate the highest. So you're already wrong, which means I get to pick the next band. Is that true? I mean, I, I, I'm not going to tip my hand, but I thought you would rate this, especially All in the Mouse's Night. I thought it would be 10, 10, and 5 for you. Not gonna lie, because <laughs> I know you're a Tom and Jerry fan, Corey. I can see it in your eyes. Okay, uh, I'm more of a foghorn leghorn guy, actually. A boy, I say, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I just talked about that with John on a podcast. So, oh, I love foghorn leghorn. Man, I, I like all those old cartoons. Oh, all, all, all the Chuck Jones uh, Looney Tunes, man. It doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> Daffy Duck as Robin Hood is still the best cartoon ever. 100%. I mean, no argument from anyone. And if anyone does argue, again, yeah, go fuck yourself. Yeah, go find the Cardinal and, and go attend the church and go fuck yourself. Okay, well, we should wrap up. We've done another album, Corey. But we should also talk about, we both do other music podcasts in which we, you know, pontificate on... Well, I was going to ask you, so how has this been so far? Because the two podcasts that you do, uh, music or three podcasts you do music-related... But let's say the band podcast. So you do a Van Halen podcast, which is how we met each other um, and is phenomenal. And I was a guest on earlier this evening. 
um, and then an Aerosmith podcast. So those are very band specific where you're really just reacting to what you hear in real time where this one has been a bit different for you because now you've got to sort of sit and listen to the album and come in with um, pre-written or sort of pre-formulated ideas. How have you found that just as a process? It's It's been a nice uh, change of pace because like you said, the other shows, I do no prep whatsoever. Just plop down on a call. Uh, we spin a song and then we just talk about it. Yeah. And I either know my shit or I don't know my shit. And I try and look up little bits here and there. Uh, whereas this one, uh, I've never heard uh, these uh, two albums. I've heard, uh, obviously I heard Afterglow in uh, your own special way in a couple of tracks off t- uh, Trick of the Tail. But as a, uh, and it's always a complete experience, especially uh, Genesis from top to bottom, right? Like sequencing matters. Yeah. Uh, you know, how, how, you know, side A versus side B, that kind of thing. So uh, I, I really enjoy that aspect. I really enjoy our grading system here. It's a different way. Uh, of kind of breaking down an album where you got to think, okay, lyrically, what works, what doesn't musically, what yeah. works, what doesn't uh, Tony Banks quit jerking off on your keyboards, you know, <laughs> uh, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and like you said, to me, Phil Collins Genesis started at Genesis in 1983. Yeah. So yeah. this stuff beforehand is all kind of first time listens for me. So I, I'm really digging that aspect of it. My question for you would be, are you regretting doing a podcast with me yet? This is, I said to you, I mean, this might be the most fun podcast record I've ever done. These two sides of this album, because, you know, again, when we're all sort of, oh, let's come by, uh, we all love Van Halen, we all love Aerosmith, it's great. Yeah, I know. I knew, like, well, Trick of the Tail, I, th- I was kind of curious about, okay, I think he'll be okay with this. This might be a bit suck. And you surprised me. There are a couple of things where you, you rated them higher than I thought. This one I knew. Wind and Wondering, I was like, yeah, Corey's not going to like this record. I know he's not going <laughs> to like this record. It's going to give us so much to talk about. So do I regret it? Not for a fucking second. I get to hang out with one of my friends and talk about music, which is what I love to do. And we, you know, at some point, we'll foist this on an unsuspecting public and hopefully people engage with it. So, you know, so why would this is the best way to spend an evening, man? And what I can't wait for is right now I'm kind of leaning more negative towards this aspect of their career and you're more positive. It may flip. I, I don't know how what you feel about Invisible Touch and We Can't Dance. I yeah. love those records. And I'm wondering if if the more poppy stuff, because you came from the prog side, are you a little more negative towards the the pop stuff? That's what I'm really looking forward to. Like when yeah. I'm when I'm bragging about a song like uh anything she does which is a deep cut off invisible touch. Is Kevin going to like that? Or is he going to say, that's too repetitive and it's too boring and it needs more of that, you know, Tom and Jerry vibe to it. (laughs) Well, that's the beauty of it, right? Because we've got this catalog from this band that's really diverse because they really leaned into the pop later on in their careers, but they also still had on those albums massive prog influences. Like, man, there's some, those two 10 minute songs on invisible touch. Or is there eight, to, eight to ten. Well, Domino, Domino for uh, sure. Okay. Eight of the nights long. You know, there's a couple of songs on there that are not just straight up pop songs. Um, we can't dance. We've got a couple of tens. Yep. What I'm looking forward to is from my side of this is once we've got past and then there were three, which is the next album we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Which is again, it's the switch. Now we've got another reboot when Hackett leaves, and it's just the three of them. Hence the title. Um, and, but then you get into Abacab. Uh, sorry, then you get into Duke. Duke, I think, is going to be my most um, interesting album to expose you to. Because okay. that's the one where it's it's that midpoint between prog rock and commercial Genesis. And it's a fucking 
blinding album. But I'm very curious to see what you think about it. Well, and uh, what uh, Follow You, Follow Me uh, comes from, uh, and then there were three, uh, kind of their... Uh, yeah. Well, the, the we just uh, covered the track tonight, though, their first charting single, but that was a big hit. And then I believe Duke had uh, Misunderstanding and Turn It On Again, right, which were kind of uh, Genesis staples uh, in the 80s and 90s. Oh, is Misunderstanding off Duke? Oh, Pretty maybe, sure. yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, I mean, Turn It On Again is... Oh, fuck Jesus. I mean, that's... Again, not to tip our hands too early, but that's a song that if you go to see Genesis live, you want to hear that song. And you're hearing it right off the hop. Like they, they open every show with that, right? And it's a great fucking song to sing to you, man. Yeah. So much fun. I would know I could I can't sing. So I'm not as talented as you. Yeah, I'm I'm just an idiot. I'm an idiot with a with a I'm an idiot with a microphone. So that's what we should okay. have called the show, two idiots with microphones. There we go. <laughs> or we should have called it. Corey doesn't like prog. <laughs> well, should we wrap it up there, Corey, and leave these Absolutely. fine people to get on with their lives? Let's do that. Okay, well, where can people find you if they're looking for you online? Oh, please don't, because you're probably going to yell at me for not liking <laughs> Early Genesis, but I'm at CD Barset on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find me uh, pontificating about other bands like Van Halen and Aerosmith on our my uh, shows and the podcast while rock and backtracks Aerosmith revisited. I also do a show called backtracks theme music where we're breaking down uh, our favorite songs from our favorite films. That's a lot of fun to do. And uh, Kevin, you also got a, a couple of shows uh, on the go, don't you? I do. One is the Tom Petty project. Um, so you can find me at the Tom Petty project on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube and at Tom Petty project on Twitter. Uh, if you want to listen to me talk about Queen with my good friend Randy Woods, you can check us out at, at Queenside on Twitter or at Seaside Pod Review on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, the world needs more of us, Corey. I think that what we need to do is talk about every band and give up our day jobs and just find a wealthy benefactor who will allow us to just talk about music all day. That'd be a great situation, hey? How much uh, money does Randy have? Like He, he must oh. make a ton of cash, right? He could pay us to do this. Yeah, no, he's a he's a musician in Saskatchewan. He, I think he's, I mean, he owes money, oh. if anything. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you you know what the creative arts are like in this province, mate. But he's a he's an audio engineer for for different things too. So I know he's covered a lot of like hockey and and all sorts of shit. So I'm sure he's he's rich. Oh yeah, I mean he's he's driving around in a Cadillac. Yeah, he lives in a in a he like lives a in a sauna. <laughs> like a jerk. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> okay you know what folks if you've enjoyed anything we've said tonight which is we accept is you know unlikely uh, you can come and engage with us on twitter at you catalog clash which sounds like we're university which I think I quite like or on twitter uh, on facebook at ultimate catalog clash come talk to us we enjoy conversations um, I'll be running most of the social media but what I might do is um, prod Corey every now and again to jump in but come talk to us 